Hello, humans. We're here for the weekly Vine Down. I'm Emily Smith, your host from College Vine. I'm joined by excellent guests. I wish I had a band like announcing like Saturday Night Live who the musical guests were and who the host was. I've got great guests today. Uh, this is, if you haven't joined before, a weekly show where we get real, pretty weird, and humorous about lots of topics in higher ed. And today we're going to talk about our most favorite, venerable marketing channel that we love to hate and hate to love, email, and talk about how to best optimize some things that we can do to nurture and uh, nurture demand generation for our schools. So it's early November. If you're like most schools, you're probably several email campaigns in and you're starting to analyze what's working, what's not, um, whether you're doing that real time in your cycle or you're going to wait to look at it later. Uh, this is a process that's going to become really important for you to measure um, the impact of your email marketing efforts for many, many cycles ahead. Uh, so if you haven't met me before, I'm Emily Smith. Um, I've worked in higher ed for 20 years across five companies, probably with 500 admissions offices across student search, CRM, enrollment consulting. And uh, I'm joined by two of my faves, Joe Bellavance and Roger Jones. Joe is uh, currently of Joe J. Bellavance, right? J. Bellavance. J. Bellavance okay. Consulting. Formerly the big boss of student search at the College Board and led enrollment across a couple of different institutions, and Roger is the AVP of Mark of Partner Development at the Parish Group, um, former dean of enrollment uh, across a couple of different institutions. Um, and turns out that Roger has amazing hobbies and abilities that we never knew. So we'll maybe learn about those more on the show today. Thank you for joining us, you fine weirdos. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. You bet. So, okay, if you don't know about College Vine yet, I'll give you, sometimes we've got people who are unfamiliar with what College Vine is. If you're unfamiliar with who we are, we are like LinkedIn for high school students. Students join, they create full professional profiles, and they are on our platform in order to get recruited by colleges. And the way it works for colleges is that they send connection requests to students, and students explicitly decide whether they want to accept those connection requests or dismiss them if they accept them. All of that information goes right into the school CRM as a super deep inquiry those students apply at least a 20% rate. And the reason why that's so high is that students actually are really specific about who they connect with. This is very different than the thing that happens in email. Students are really explicit about who they connect with, how many schools are in their network, and we actually limit the number of schools that a student can connect with to keep things really high signal for you out there in college land. Okay, so dudes, email. We're going to talk about email today. And this is something that we've been doing forever. Email has gotten pretty noisy. We've got lots of opinions. Um, unfortunately, email is getting less effective because there is so much more of it. If I think about student search in particular, in 2018, an RNL report found that if you bought 100,000 names, you could convert those into 131 enrollments. Now, we ran that same data this year. Uh, 100,000 names only yields 43 enrollments, making that 67% less effective than it was just a few years ago. And the median junior receives about 1,500 emails um, in, in about a 12-month span. 70% uh, of them say that it feels like spam. And given that we're all still going to do it, it's really worth talking about how we can do it well. <laughs> and that's why I've brought some experts here to talk to me about that. So guys, given all of these tools, platforms that have grown over the last several years. I'm curious if you feel surprised or not that colleges are still sending more and more email. Roger, I'd actually love you to, to answer that first. 
Sure. And, and uh, you know, again, thank you for having me. I don't I don't feel surprised at all that colleges are still relying colleges and companies uh, like are still relying on email. Um, email is is uh, a necessary evil, if you will. Uh, but mm. in, in my estimation, I would actually uh, would love to argue the point that email can provide you the opportunity to make um, another first impression. So we always hear that you, you can only you only get one chance to make a first impression. Mm. But I really think if the email is done right, you do get a second chance to make a first impression, depending on how it's delivered. Tell me more about that. Why do you think that's giving you the second chance? Like, what's the first impression in that sense? Well, I think the first impression, of course, you know, from a recruitment standpoint, when you've got your uh, recruiters out on the road and they're meeting people at college fairs and, and, and high school visits and things of that nature, that's one that's one impression. But then as you talk about recruiting students to an institution, oftentimes, and Joe can kind of chime in on this as well as we talk about some of the parent communications as well, but oftentimes you're actually recruiting an entire family, right? And so mm-hmm. as an entire family, that email that is then sent and, and hopefully opened at that point in time from the student is not just one that is going to the student, but uh, oftentimes, especially depending on uh, you know the, the, the area of the country, the region of the country, or even the ethnicity of the student that you're recruiting, you are speaking to not just that student, you may be speaking to the student's aunt, uncle, mom, dad, uh, mm. grandmother, grandfather. So um, that email, again, oftentimes does present an, uh, an, an option for you to make uh, a first impression for a second time. Yeah. And grab that whole squad for sure. Yeah. Let's yeah. get into that. Joe, your your whole thing lately has been parent email. What's the right approach to engaging with parents, do you think? Yeah. So uh, the thing that we do is we will take your student file and we will cross match it with data from that household to identify who's the head of household there, find the parent. And then we do this whole cleansing process to find the right email for that parent, because as we know, people have multiple emails and, you know, um, I'll give it the example I always give is I have a Joe Bellman's at Comcast.net. You know, when I had Comcast as my cable company, you're never going to see me there. I'll never get it because I've never opened it. So what we do is we go through this cleansing process so that Joe Bellman's at Comcast becomes Joe at jbellman's.com because I know that's the most active email. And, yeah, we're having a real successful rate in terms of matching. We typically will match about 85% of your students with a parent and a parent email that's active. Um, and we're getting about 40% of the parents to actually open it. Um, parents are much more engaging in the email platform. Uh, I know that, uh, was it RNL Campus ESP just did this study, you know, that talked about um, parents, 93% of parents want to be communicated through email. So we may think it's dead when it comes to students, you know, and they want to direct message and do all that stuff. But for the parents, it's it's the way they do it. And, you know, we all have work emails, right? I mean, our colleges, as soon as a student registers to be part of the college community, gets an email so they can communicate with them that way. So as much as we've wanted to kill this thing off for 20 years, it's just not going away. And it's it's convenient. You know, I mean, that's the bottom line is you can send out, a, you know, to a lot of people at the same time, you know, the same message. But um, the, the other thing I think, the, the big advantage of email, because one of the things that we're all doing now is digital advertising, right? And banner ads. Well, you got five or six words you can put in a, in a banner ad. With an email, you can do three or four paragraphs. And if done right with the right messages, then yeah, and then you click through to a strong landing page. That's much more efficient than four or five words on a banner ad across the bottom of my app. So, Okay. So we've got parents who will actually read and open emails and engage with that content there. How are you able to measure that performance effect as you think about enrolling students, Joe? 
Yeah. So the way that we do it is first thing we do is look at the open rate, you know, and then we look at the click through rate. Are they clicking to the website, which then we can track from there. But the most important thing for me with my clients is at the end of the year, give me your application file and I'll cross match it with the parent files that we use to see what is the overlap. And for a couple of our institutions, who, you know, small private schools, you know, we were seeing 35, 37 and a half percent match rate where if you've got a thousand applications, 370 of those, I could show you that, that you talk to a parent at some point in that 18 month process. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say it was the email that did it, but there's a strong correlation between your increase in apps and the increase in outreach to parents. Yeah. And I've said it before on the show and I'll say it again, like 10 times, like if you're not measuring attribution and if you're not measuring down cost per enrollment per channel and thinking about a yeah. more complex attribution model, uh, you're doing it wrong. That's, that's right. I guess the summary there. Agreed. Yeah. So Roger, in your perspective, from your perspective, how do you think enrollment departments think about email sort of in the mix of everything they can and should be doing, whether it's email to students or emails to parents, like where do you locate that as far as how you would advise your clients or your previous offices and teams to like spend their time and resources between email and other methods of communication? Uh, well, I mean, I think email is a, a very important part of the recruitment process, right? Um, because oftentimes, um, the, 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 you know, telephonically, getting on the phone and being able to reach the students isn't always the, uh, the easiest thing to do these days. Uh, right. These students are more busier than ever before. Uh, and so, you know, having, having said that, um, <clears throat> the right email strategy uh, per counselor, um, uh, as, a reach, as, as it relates to them reaching out to the prospective students, I think it's fantastic, right? But I don't need it to be 50% of the day, but I do need it to be an active part of their day each day. Um, but then as we develop strategies uh, for our partners, and then even for the previous teams that I've led, one of the things that um, has been vastly different in, in the in most recent years, uh, as opposed to um, back when the dinosaur first hit the earth and I began my, my mm -hmm. admission career, um, you know, or the or the uh, the asteroid first hit the earth, I should say. Uh, but back then, we weren't really collecting a lot of parent information, right? And so right. now, now that we have the opportunity to collect the parent information up front and actively engage those parents and those parental figures in the email uh, uh, process and in the recruitment process itself, it's a necessary evil, and it's one that is not going to go away. Um, you know, I think uh, what's what's the old quote by Benjamin Franklin? Um, the only thing that we have that is going to ring true is is um, death and taxes. And I think at this point in time, we should probably put email there as well. <laughs> it's very sad. I mean, but like, I think about what I think about that sort of the time horizon there, Roger. And I think about like, in our lifetimes, you know, like Jack McGuire was realizing that at uh, his first institution in the 70s, that they were just putting all of the sophomore inquiries like into a closet and opening that closet two years later. So like, I, I, we also have come a long way in that period of time um, to be able to become more uh, more savvy and more complex in these efforts. And and by that sort of by that, I'm curious, like how do we think about the right frameworks? And we'll, we'll get into this in future shows. We're going to be talking about sort of building conflows a little bit more um, and how to do this more more succinctly. But like, how do you think about sort of the framework for email cadence? like who are on the cold list versus the inquiry list? How do you divide up app generation and prospect generation um, or application follow-up? Sort of how would you lead your teams into thinking about organizing those conflows? Do you have any frameworks in mind? Sure. 
So from a student search perspective, there is a very fine line uh, as it relates to students either um, it, seeing what you're doing as overkill or seeing what you're doing as engaging, right? And so mm. the, law, the law of diminishing returns, uh, and I think we've all uh, dealt with students who have, sent, who have said, or at some point in time just opened up their inbox and said, wow, look at what I have here. So there, there's a moment of law, you know, of, of diminishing returns there. And so, you know, from, from a, a cold call standpoint, if you will, um, let's, let's make sure that we're probably from a best practice standpoint around that 10 email mark before we get to the point, again, spaced out enough to where you have enough of an interest in the student to, to, to show that you are interested in them coming to the campus, but at the same time, uh, not, not overbearing, right? So 10 emails is, is a good sequence, a good cadence spaced out enough to where after, if, if that student is still going to be one that is a non-responder, if you will, um, we can retarget them in a different way. Uh, but then once once the student has become an inquiry, um, that 15 to 20 email sequence is is solid. Um, once you get to that point to drive them to the application piece, uh, I think it becomes a little more um, uh, substantive when you get to the post-application stage. And by that, I mean, at that point, you shouldn't, as the admissions office and the enrollment team, be the only ones communicating to the students via email or whatever channel it is that you're using. So at that point in time, I would want more um, directed more immediate emails, um, more more uh, directed and, and pointed emails as far as the next steps are concerned, uh, but also emails from other entities on campus as it relates to trying to get the student to come to the campus and ultimately enroll. Right. So that's super helpful benchmarking, but how do we think about segmentation? Because if you're going to send those like the same 10 emails to everybody or the same 15 emails to everybody, just where you are stage by stage, like what's your perspective on segmentation and actual messaging based on the data that you may have or may want to have in order to segment effectively? Sure. So hopefully, um, based on something that you said a little earlier, hopefully these teams have actually uh, taken a look at some of the data that they've used and that they've been able to garner from past uh, campaigns uh, and past outreach. And so the segmentation definitely is important. Uh, no email should be the same email uh, uh, you know, across the board to all the students. We don't, this doesn't need to be a cookie cutter approach, but there also needs to be an A and, a and B approach. And that also leads me to, to talk about a little bit about some of the, the, the tool that you all have uh, as it relates to the email deliverability and, and, and that, that piece there. Fantastic and dynamic tool. Uh, but I think that one of the, as, as we get further down the line of the, or further down into the uh, enrollment process, colleges and universities are going to have to take a look at what it is that is garnering attention via the email, whether it be the, uh, the subject line or whether it be the actual content. Uh, I also would, 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 would argue that um, sometimes the open rates are, are, are a little skewed because based on the way the PU pane is set, sometimes the students and even parents alike can take a look at the email without actually opening it within the first couple of lines. So if we as, as marketers are not savvy enough to understand that, that our call to action needs to be earlier in the email as it relates to just the real estate as to where it lands in the email, then there's there's another problem there as well. Right. Like we used to talk about putting, you know, good stuff above the fold in a printed piece, same thing exactly. in an email. And you're saying like it actually has to be even higher up to get to get pulled in there. Exactly. Um, we'll take a look at that's that sort of the ways you can use our free tool to test in a second. Joe, I'm curious from your perspective on how you view message segmentation across parents, because you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of like financial and consumer data for parents, but how do you use the financial and consumer data on parents to actually segment different messages for parents? Or do you treat parents like a monolith at an, like parents in an institution's pool as a monolith as just like parents without segmentation? 
Yeah, no, that there, to your point, there's a lot of data there to, to be segmented. Um, and I want to go back to something Roger said. There's a fine line between sending too many emails. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, like millions of emails are going out, you know, every day, every year to, to people. And you want to make sure that it's kind of, I always talk about like the little bird in your hand. You're trying to bring it in, you know, and, and get it to, to feed a little bit. You don't want to scare it off by just sending so many emails. So it's like for me, the cadence is every couple of weeks. You're not sending it, you know, every two or three days to a parent. You're sending it every couple of weeks. Just and it's it's inbox, it's it's mailbox and and it's mobile device. You know, that I say the trifecta. And, and so they're seeing it here and there. But to get back to your point, um, Typically, what I like to do is, is give them a couple of different themes, you know, so it's it's about cost, you know, the, the monolithic at first. But then what we do is we research where did they click? You know, where do they go to our page? So now I know oh, they're interested in financial aid as opposed to admissions deadlines or you know whatever else it may be that we're talking about academic programs. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we can go back to that group and segment them out to say, oh, these people were really interested in the academic programs. And, you know, this one's all about financial aid. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how we, we try to treat it. And because not everybody's the same, right? And we know they come from different incomes, different size families. I and mean, there's all sorts of data that we have on that. So, and, and Joe, uh, you know, to, to, to piggyback, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, you Emily, but to, to piggyback on that, you know, one of the things that um, I often tell people as it relates to emails uh, and, and outreach, right? It, in the recruitment process, the goal is to get the student to fall in love with the institution more than once. And email is a channel in which the, you have the opportunity to do that. But that email also has the ability to, again, like I said a little earlier, um, give you the second chance to make that first impression. But that email um, itself is something that carries uh, quite a bit more weight uh, than sometimes some of the other interactions, because it still is one of the driving forces for students to ultimately say, OK, yes, I am interested in applying to this institution based on the level of activity. So I agree with the cadence and everything that you're saying. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, the opportunity to, to have a second chance to make the first impression, but also um, to make them get the warm and fuzzies about the institution even more. Yeah. And one of the things we do is we call it the one two punch. I mean, while the institution is talking to the student about what's going on and what they want to track them to, we're telling the parent the same thing. Try to get that conversation going in the household, you know, exactly. and then all of a sudden this thing pops up in the mail. And, you know, and they're seeing a couple of banner ads, you know, I'm checking the score of the Bruins from last night. It's like all of a sudden, you know, there's this ad it's like, oh, yeah, I got an email from them. You know, I mean, it's, so it's the whole trifecta. But sure. at the end of the day, you want to create a conversation with that family. Right. Right. I agree. Agree. I'm now picturing you like Snow White with your little bird in the woods. <laughs> like, not, not trying to scare it. Better than you in the bush, right? I had to get right. that one in the hand. Yes, yes, I see. You're, you're trying not to freak out your little parent birds. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, I mean, and how much of that is is sort of explicit, right? Because like, again, you're you're trying to engage both students and parents in a way where you have essentially gotten their information by some method that isn't directly related to hearing from a college. And then you show up and you're trying to be like a good and genuine steward of this very human conversation, trying to get this conversation going in the student's household. Like, do you sort of pull back the third the third layer on that or or do you do you break the third wall or never like what's the what's the best practice there just to say like okay we have your information and we're just going to run at engaging you without being explicit about like how we got your information or why we're engaging with you yeah it, it, that's tricky right it, it, we, i haven't gotten anybody who said how did you get my name you know or where did you get my name <laughs> right. because because for the most part when you're doing the matching part 
the students already been engaged with the student with the college or the college already been engaged with them. The parents actually excited because it's like, oh, finally somebody's talking to me, you know. So right. I haven't had I, I literally haven't had any of those issues because the parent wants to get that information. Um, there are times where because we also do as you have fewer resources in terms of students out there, the records that you're going to be able to get in the coming years. Now we're doing a lot with, we're doing a lot with prospective new parents. So I can tell you that a 16 or 7 year old lives in that household. And this is the income of that household. These are all things. So we can go after new parents that are deduped from the students that you already have. And so sometimes I will get that like, Oh, you know, how did you get our name? You know, and such. Um, and it's, and it's basically, you know, it's all household data, you know, census bureau, all this stuff that comes together. Um, but, but again, parents are so, you know, uh, uh, excited that they're getting engaged. Um, sure, that sure. what's going to be interesting with the college board and the way that things are working with them, with the PII information is you're going to see a lot. I, I think you're going to see a lot more institutions trying to find parents early on. And now the parents going to be the one that gets all the email and everything, you know, because we, we don't have a way of finding the student and it'll be interesting to see how parents respond to that. Cause they're the ones that said, you know, I want my kids you know, privacy protected and such. And now it's going to be like, okay, then you're going to get all this stuff. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You're like, watch what I can do. Yeah, watch what I can <laughs> and Joe, do. Joe, can you slow that down? I realize like most people sort of you're, you're winking at something that like is happening in our space. We've talked about it a lot, but can you slow that down for the folks in our audience who don't actually understand sort of like what you're saying uh, with college board and name availability? Can you run that back for, for the folks who are like, what is this guy talking about? Yeah, sure. So it literally has just happened. So the college board now went to a digital model with the PSAT uh, or in SAT school day. Um, and because of privacy laws across the country and every state has different ones around minors, uh, the college board has taken an approach now where those PSAT names of all those kids who tested are now going to this thing called connections. And what you as an institution have the ability to do is to send some ads and things through the college board to reach your students. But the college board is not gonna share with you the PII information, the you know personally identifying information. That so you used to be able to license two hundred thousand PSAT names and then just go after them, emails and everything else. That's no longer going to be available to you. You're going to have to go through the mobile devices to find those students. And if you're an institution who can't wait around for five hundred people to like you, you know, to to build your class, then you're going to need to find another way to be proactive. And so that part of what we're doing is reaching out directly to parents of sixteen, seventeen-year-olds in that household. Um, and getting their information, talking directly to the parents to get them to say, yes, I'm interested in my son or daughter looking at your institution. Right. So it's going to be a big shift. And I'm not sure how many people are really ready for that or understand what's happening, but, um, but you're not going to be able to be as proactive as you once were utilizing the PSAT data load. And Joe, I would agree with that. I think there are some institutions out there that don't quite understand the ramifications mm -hmm. of where we are and what that, what that step is, is actually going to entail you know, related to how they recruit students, where they get the names, how they get the names, and who it is that they're speaking to in the household. Uh, I think the parent is going to become in the next two years just as important of a contact, if not more so, uh, than that initial contact with the student name that we typically had licensed in the past. Yeah, so what's what's gonna happen now is that student, when all of us, so Emily, you talked about, you know, the, the student who, you know, gets hundreds of emails, right? My best friend- Thousands. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you the quick story. So. My best friend from college, we were college roommates and stuff. Years later, all of a sudden, he calls me up one day, and I won't use the same language he did, but he goes, what do you, because I was running the college board search program, he's like, what are you doing with my kid's name? He just got 120 emails, you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, well, he's a good student, you know, from a good family, you know? 
know, suburban America. I'm like, yeah, he's going to get a lot of interest. And uh, he's like, I want a cut of that. He's like, if, if you're selling my kid's name, I want a cut of that, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, so it was interesting. Privatized, that, privatization of the own student, the own student. Yeah. 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 Well, California, I think, is a, is a state mm -hmm. right now that's looking at you as an individual being able to sell your data, right? Like, why should somebody else benefit from it when that's your data? And uh, so we'll see where that goes in the next couple of years. But, but that's the reality. So what's going to happen with connections is, now all of a sudden these kids are going to get these notifications on their mobile device saying, hey, all these colleges are interested in you. And you've got to figure out as an institution, how do I stand out in there? And so that the kid will click my button and go to my profile and maybe take an action. Um, and you're just not going to be able to be as proactive. It's, it's all about putting the power in the kids in hand so they can be proactive in who they want to talk to. Yeah. And you're heading like Joey B, you're heading like down the road with parents. Roger, you consult with colleges all the time on this score and and you're helping folks understand connections and what to do next and how to segment if not parents what's sort of the key part of your strategy and discovery with your own consulting load roger so so colleges need to find a way to set themselves apart so that the messaging mm -hmm. actually um that, that it resonates with the students i mean there are only so many times that a student let's say um you know the, the student that joe just mentioned a little earlier who had received 112 emails 100 plus emails all at one time um mm. i would i would venture to guess 60 of those emails said we have small class sizes and one-on-one -on -one attention um and so i think there needs this is this is this is a moment where uh, reawakening of of marketing and being able to sell value propositions in a different way for colleges and universities. It can't be the same old, same old. Now we have to find different ways for our clients, our partners, and our institutions to stand out so that these emails, I mean, we're talking about emails and being able to communicate with folks, but what makes them actually open an email? So we need to find different value propositions in order to do so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's like one of the very first things that I learned in this space was sort of mi a mistrust of what when colleges say what makes them unique in right. a self-appraised way. It's not frequently accurate, true, yeah. or discreet enough to make a difference because it is the like, we have small class size. Come visit our beautiful campuses. Like, yeah, colleges are freaking beautiful. Like, I, I get it. But yeah. yeah, like there's like the same image of like a student's on the quad, like reading their books and like laughing and looking like really well-adjusted like teens. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like really what makes you unique. Um, and that's, that's so important to get at that core of who you are, what differentiates you, you know, and I tell parents and kids all the time, I did this because I put three kids through college. It's like, get on those campuses and just get a feel for it. What's the culture there? Because here in New England, we all show you the fall foliage shots, you know, and and they're beautiful, you know, as you said, Emily. But but boy, if you take the time to differentiate yourself and really what's at the core of the culture of that, you know, your mission and whatever that is, because being small and personable is not is not going to do it. And 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 the other thing, the other mistake that institutions make, and you'll hear me say this all the time. I think I said it on the last, you know, vine down that we did together. And, and that is that. Um, You've got to take that time to figure that out and stop trying to be all things to all people. Agreed. Like every institution Agreed. in America says, oh, we're going to grow our way out of this. We're going to add a hockey team. We're going to add this, add that. It's like, you know, oh, we, we can get five more students if we start a radio program, even though, you know, radio is dead, right? So we're all streaming now. But but the reality is we're trying to find a way to find a few more students as opposed to just taking that time to really what's at the core of your institution 
And how do you differentiate yourself? Nobody, I should say nobody, but very few institutions take the time to do that. Do that well. And, and, you, well, and, and, then, and being, I'm sorry, Emily, didn't mean to cut you off again. No, but, you know, I like being, the crosstalk. You know, Joe, as, as, as we talk about campus fit and, and getting to understand, you know, is this a place for me? Um, you know, yeah. being being, being at, at, at an entity that that does uh, uh, brochures uh, and we do campus photography and lots of different things. You know, one of the reasons I always challenge people and tell them get to the campus to see the campus for for itself. How many times have you ever seen rain in a, in a college brochure? <laughs> yeah. How many times have you ever seen a rainy day in a college brochure? How many times have you ever seen a student who was looked like they were running late for class in a college brochure? How many times have you ever seen an unhappy student in a college brochure? There's yeah. more to the college than it, than it than presents itself on the table when you go to a college fair or when that person comes to, to, to the uh, high school uh, to speak to you about the campus. So I 100% agree, email or not, please get to the yeah. campus as often as you can so that you can actually see how, how it feels for you personally. And, the, and the, the fit is the thing, that's what parents want too. At the end of the day, by the time their son or daughter is a senior, they want to know it's a good fit. Will, yes. will my kid feel comfortable here? Will they thrive here? Yeah, it's about money, you know, and it's about, you know, placement after college and is college worth the expense? But at the end of the day, and as a parent who did it with three children, it's like, at the end of the day, I want to know that they're at a place where they can thrive and grow. And that's the message that we have to get across to those families for your institution is this is where this type of student really thrives and take it. And yeah, Joe, that's, I mean, that sounds like an email uh, subject line you just said. Yes. This is the place where this, this type of student thrives. Well, and I think you're right. Like parents want to hear that healthy, ha healthy, happy, safe criteria above anything else yeah. for sure. Yeah. But like, okay, you guys are not talking about fit. You're talking about the campus visit. Bring it back to email. Like, how do you, how do you do genuine stuff in email then? Right? Like if you know that you're engaging a lot of people via a lot of emails in a noisy space, how do you get the most genuine message that will cut through the noise in a human way about who exactly who you are and the exact value proposition around like specific fit and specific differ differentiation like how how do you how would you recommend that an institution do that and like yeah one of the things that we i'm sorry go ahead joe no, no go ahead roger one of the things that we do um and that i i love uh one of our processes is we actually sit down and interview current students so as it relates to for our partners, we sit down and relate and 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 interview current students so that we can relay the, the the message not just from the marketing perspective and all all of the, the the warm and fuzzy things that the institution wants the student to know, but I want to capture the student voice so that the student voice can speak to the student perspective the the prospective student in a way in which that I can't. And I think sometimes institutions forget that even when you enroll a student, that student is still a spokesperson for the institution whether it be through an email or through as they go home to, for, for, for a visit. But I would I would really, you know, push push some of my partners to make sure that your emails and the value propositions that you're communicating in your emails include the genuine student experience and not the one that you manufacture for a brochure. Yep. Yeah, that's actually that's that's killer, Roger, because that's a way for you to be like genuine in voice at scale in an email in a way that you can measure. And like, what performance did you measure in those types of emails? Did you have good results on those? Those those, those were some of our best emails. Uh, and one of the other pieces that went along with that, um, that we, we typically do, um, when we capture some student voices in our emails, 
Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that really drives that point home, and sometimes it doesn't always work based on how the email is crafted and the header and template for the email. But if you can send a picture, have a, a, a picture of the student with that particular email, and they can actually feel as though they're speaking to that one specific individual. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be the the most glamorous of shots. And uh, I just dated myself when I said glamorous of uh, shots because I'm sure somebody's thinking glamorous. Glamour shots. Um, yeah, obviously. Right. What else is anyone thinking about? Exactly. So it doesn't necessarily have to be glamour shots or JC Penney's. Now, Penny's, lots of mm -hmm. folks took mm -hmm. the JC Penney's. Sure. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. It can be a photo that the student has taken via their iPhone. I mean, we we carry around some pretty pretty fantastic cameras on, on our with our phones these days, but that carries a lot of weight if the student can see something there. Again, but the yeah. higher you yeah. keep the quote from the student in the email, the better. I want I want to add to that too, Emily. Um, the one of the things I really encourage my schools to do is to differentiate by geography. So if I'm a New England college and I'm trying to recruit kids in Denver, Colorado, I want the kid that I'm I'm highlighting to be from Denver or somewhere in Colorado, mm -hmm. because now and for mom and dad and for the student, uh, the school in New England doesn't seem that far away because other people I can from see myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You're trying to see yourself there. And, and again, I can't emphasize this enough. It, and, and Roger got it right. Talk to the students. Find out who that student is. Now, at one of the institutions I used to work at, we discovered that 75 percent of our students perform some sort of community service prior to going to college. That became our core, our mission. It was just kind of like, did you know? And like, so, again, if I've got a son or daughter or I'm a student who loves community services, given back to my community already, that's a new community I want to be a part of. You know, um, one of my other institutions, we were primarily a business school. It's like most of our students came from small mom and pop owned businesses that were going to college. To, you know, they were B.C. students, good average students who just right. needed some publishing and some experience. And we didn't apologize for that. This is who will thrive at our institution. And mm -hmm. it worked in both instances. We, we grew considerably. And, and, and Joe, I would add another layer to that. One of the things that I used to do um, uh, along with that when I was running teams uh, at, at a couple of different institutions, um, I wouldn't apologize for the region of the country that I was in. But as it relates yeah. to the student voice and the student message and the emails that I was using to recruit and to attract other students. So if I'm in the Carolinas and I'm sending an email uh, from a from a kid from Pittsburgh, um, I want to make sure that that email from the kid from Pittsburgh lands when it's nice and snowy in Pittsburgh and it's not mm -hmm. quite such in the Carolinas. Yeah. <laughs> Turn those screws, man. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about, so Roger, you brought this up before. We talked a little bit about how to measure, like how do you know if you're writing a good email campaign? And there's a lot of tools. There are a lot of tools that will help you gauge good subject lines, gauge good content. We've got one of them that I'll share. It's free for the folks out there. Let me share my screen. We'll chat a little bit about this eco tool, which you mentioned earlier, Roger. So this is the email content optimizer um, free from College Vine. You go here, click test your emails. And what happens is that our AI will take a look at, um, we trained up a large language model around from student feedback about emails. We took in a lot of emails, 20,000 of them. Um, and had students judge them, that informed the AI that gives feedback to subject line, body copy, both. Um, and it really helps you break down sort of specific factors, both in terms of email deliverability and the spam factor, the perception of the school that you're creating in the message, as well as sort of the general quality and readability of the email. Um, 
so if if we click here, I actually fed this um, fed this an email. This is a real email from a school. This is not um, this is not a faked up email. It is a faked up school. Um, but about like our application being open, and as part of these application requirements, we're asking you to um, respond to these prompts and these essays. And I had the um, the email the email content optimizer take a look at this. Um, and take a look at these performance scores. So overall, this email got us to 69% overall. Really crappy subject line um, that our online application is open. That doesn't feel compelling enough. And there are actually some suggestions about how we can improve our email content and the and the subject matter uh, or the subject line. Um, we also talk a lot about personas and using persona data to segment um based on what students are telling us at College Vine that they care about, right? Because an explorer, a message is going to fall flat for an explorer that's about practical outcomes. The explorer really wants to hear about clubs they can join and ways for them to be really an integrated part of the community. The pragmatist really wants to hear about like particular career outcomes. You're going to get this kind of job. You're going to make this kind of money. Here's how you're going to pay back your loans. And this persona data is available from us um, as well as many other of your marketing partners and your list sources. Um, but I really encourage you, if you can, to be using some of this Explorer or some of these persona and preference data if you're getting it with any of your lead sources in order to make um, really segmented content or even just um, in small ways, like custom custom content. Um, questions from you guys, Joe and Roger, about the email content optimizer, how you might use this as a testing methodology, any other testing methodologies that you like to use? No, I mean, I think this is a fantastic tool, uh, honestly. I mean, I think, you know, as, as it relates to, especially that first year admissions counselor, that second year, maybe even third year, those that haven't decided whether admissions is going to be the career for them or not. Um, mm -hmm. That cold call email, if you will, is not always the easiest thing for them to be able to craft. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a moment where there's a, hey, how did you do this? Hey, how did you do this? So this, it's a collaborative effort at times. But this is now giving um, a tool like this will give admissions counselors um, some autonomy over and some ownership over a little bit more uh, over their, their own processes. And um, I see this as a great territory management tool. Um, typically mm. talking about being able to open, looking at open email, open rates and click rates, click through rates, like Joe mentioned a little earlier. Um, but imagine having a tool like this. I mean, I, I started in this business where we didn't have things like this. We had you had dinosaurs um, to ride to work. Um, I, no, I had I had a lot of um, post-it notes, uh, color-coded post-it notes, so that I mm. knew, um, you know, things of that nature. But again, having a tool like this, it, it excites me um, for what this business is uh, and and what this business can look forward to, come, you know, in the coming years. Yeah, remember BREs, business reply envelopes. You had to oh, yeah. put a coupon back in the thing and mail it to you. Yeah, bounce back um, cards, Joe. The tear off. Why not? <laughs> awesome. Um, the, so don't tell anyone how old we are. This is our show is about to get very uncool. <laughs> um, but, but to your point, Emily, the, the, the question, I, I love it. I, I have used something, um, prior to this, um, just out there online that just to get the, the subject line, you know, to test the subject line, I haven't seen it where, you know, it, it goes into the actual content of the email itself. And so, and this is where, again, I, you know, we're all, I shouldn't say we all, um, I don't want to put everybody else in this, but a lot of people are afraid of AI, you know, like what's mm -hmm. coming, what's doing, like how do I, did the kid write the essay? I don't know. And maybe I'll get AI to review the essay that was written by an AI. You know, um, This to me is, is an example of using AI technology at its best 
you know, and, and creating a, crafting it in a way that is helpful for us in the profession. Cause I think, I think many of us are afraid of it. Um, and so, no, I, I you know, I, I love this. So, like I said, I've been out there utilizing, you know, subject line, you know, stuff that's, that's online, but nothing to this extent. And, and I think it, it nails it. Right. I mean, it, it really will help um, before you ever send in anything. And I love your, um, what did you call them? The personifiers? Uh, the personas. Yeah. Personas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, if, if you already have that in your system, you know, you know, I'm an ESTP, you know, for the old Myers-Briggs people, um, you know, so I'm looking at like, oh, pragmatists, like, okay, I got to let them know what the bottom line is and what it's going to cost. That's right. Job you're going to get, you know, versus the activist who's, you know, again, the community service person. So this, if, if you can find a way to identify your students and craft messages, top notch, that's great. Sweet. Yeah. Testing is key and knowing how to make little improvements, because I also realized that anybody out there building Comflow, you can't like blow the whole thing up and start over from scratch. Right. But to be in a constant state of tuning and improving certainly seems reasonable to me. Um, so that's what I want to inspire the audience to do. All right, dudes, we have a few minutes left and I have one question from the audience that I want to get to. Jeremy, nice to see you in the show. It's always glad. I'm always glad when Jeremy Wood, one of our favorite viewers, is here. He's asking if anyone has experimented with a comp flow that is entirely handled by current students or written in the voice by current students. And I'm curious, I think the three of us between us are like doing this through the windows at many enrollment institutions or operations all the time. And I'm curious, I haven't heard of that. Roger, Joe, have you seen anybody so doing having their all their student written emails? So I've not heard of the, the, the students actually uh, doing it to that extent, uh, but writing it in within the student voice itself. Yes. Mm. Um, okay. They, 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 I have uh, we have encountered a couple of institutions and we work with some partner institutions uh, where we've done something uh, very, very similar. Um, now, it can get uh, a little over overboard um, again, fine line. Uh, because at that point in time, sometimes when you go a little too far o over that edge um, and further down the line, students then say, OK, wait a minute, you're just trying to sell me. And so that's that's a moment where I think um, when you get to that fine line, you need to bring other campus entities into that equation. So housing needs to speak to them. Athletics needs to speak to them. So other in campus entities need to in enter the fray as well. Right. To sort of yeah. own the content across a bunch of different groups. Right. Yeah. And I would say I have one client that's working with a handful of students who are building 15, 15 second videos to, to drop yeah. into the emails and such. So they're the students aren't writing the entire email content, but they're they're building, you know, material, little snippet videos that can be dropped in there that makes it more exciting because, you know, everything we're hearing is that's what students want. Right. And that's how we catch their attention. Um, and I would say, you know, working with students would be a lot like working with your alumni, you know, be choosy about who you yeah. do. And, you know, yes. we work with and, and uh, you know, and have somebody overseeing that professional, which gives the student a great experience and gives the staff, you know, a, a larger staff to work with who are in it every day and understand it from the student's perspective. Um, but, yeah, it's like the old days of alumni, like, oh, I'll cover that fair for you. I'd rather you didn't. Uh, yeah, please you know, don't. Joe. Joe, sometimes I, I you know, I, I used to have those same conversations and I would I would say, hey, I'm, I'm happy to, for alums to to cover fairs. Just don't start off the engagement with Will back when I was there, because that at that moment, they think you went to school with Fred Flintstone. So I, I really need you to not do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, I was at Bam Bam's first birthday. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Boomer. 
<laughs> I knew that was coming out of some. I had to get it in there. I had to get it in there. All right. Well, dudes, this is the time that we have. I super appreciate your conversation today and and the crosstalk. I think it was awesome. I think we heard a lot about sort of the efficacy around like the need to measure, the need to be in a state of constant tuning. And the sad news is that we can't rely on the same old email content in order to be heard in a very noisy space, right? We have to be in a state and a mindset of measuring and improving in order to break through this noise if we're going to continue to do things like email, which we all feel like we need to continue to do. Um, obviously, there are new and different things to be using in addition to email, though initiative fatigue also is very real. So I would encourage the audience out there to continue to test and tune and join us ne next week. We're going to be talking a little more about Comflow, building Comflow and framework. Um, I'm really excited about that show. Roger, Joe, lovely to spend time with you. I'm so fond of both of you and I really appreciate you. Well, thank you very much. It was great. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Vine Down Humans. We'll see you next week. Be well, drink water, take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Yeah.